0: this time loop thing how did you get out of it I simply boosted the circuits and broke free you came back
1: of your own accord well I Doctor. no no I'm afraid not no obviously the time lords have programmed the TARDIS always to return to earth it seems that I'm some kind of a galactic yo-yo
2: hello everybody and welcome to galactic yo-yo the podcast where dr who fans share their unpopular opinions with the world and i have to deal with them i'm your host molly marsh And I'm yet again wandering around my bedroom. Um, I've been trying to go outside as little as possible um, just because things are so bad in the UK right now. Um, I haven't seen any of my friends and family in the flesh since the 27th of December, so since last year. Um, And yeah, it's a struggle. But um, I'm making it through by watching loads of good telly reading some good books, listening to some great music and video calling people. So we're all going to be okay. This week on the podcast, um, I spoke to Joy Piedmont, who I've um, obviously hosted on the podcast before. Um, We had a really interesting conversation about the Timeless Children last time. But this time um, we talked about Revolution of the Daleks, which aired um, right at the start of the year, um, 10 days ago now. Um, We discussed what we liked about the episode, what we didn't like. What we found um, kind of interesting about it—it it ended up being quite a long discussion, but I think it was—it um, was also a kind of uh, an interesting discussion too. And we took some questions from Twitter users at the end as well, which is something I had never done before. Um, I think because I was worried that nobody was going to um, send me any questions, but they did send me questions. Um, so thanks to everybody who sent questions in. Um, I think I'm going to do that again because it was uh, it was an interesting exercise. But anyway, yes, I spoke to Joy about the episode and um, it was great to have to have her on the podcast again. Um, I'm going to be returning now to fortnightly podcasts just to give myself a little bit of a break. So you, you've got one coming up in um, in two weeks time. Um, but until then, please enjoy my conversation with Joy Piedmont.
1: Yeah, I always have my call recorder on backup just in
2: case. Yeah, you never know what's going to happen, do you? There mm. we go. Fantastic. Um, brilliant. So a new episode of Doctor Who aired five, six days ago now? What day is it? The fifth? Yeah, so it aired like four or it five days it? ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, And it felt like, I mean, I was just saying to Johnny Spandrel on the on the yearly roundup episode that, yeah... it. It really felt as if the yeah the the whole year in Doctor Who had been gearing up to this one episode. Obviously, we had Series Twelve at the start of the year, but it that beginning part of the year didn't really feel like twenty twenty to me. <laughs> twenty twenty starts <laughs> when COVID starts in my mind.
1: Oh, uh, so, for sure, so that, that, that whole that time, entire season. Mm.
2: Yeah, we're looking at this uh, this New Year's special. Did it live up to your expectations broadly?
1: I really tried to have no expectations. uh, That's wise. That's really wise. (laughs) (laughs) So my answer to it might sound a little funny, but um, yeah, I tried to have no expectations because... I am generally a pessimist and so I know that if I really expect great things or if I'm really excited about something, yeah. I can tend to be disappointed. So I was really pleased. I, I also find like New Year's Day just kind of like a, a bummer of a day to I watch. I hate
2: New Year's Day for Doctor everything. Who? It's like you've always got a hangover. And I mean <laughs> I I had a stinking hangover and it's not as good as Christmas Day because No. And it's like everything's closed, like like it is on Christmas Day, and everyone acts like it's like Christmas Day, but it's it's just like Christmas Day with none of the fun, and yeah, all there's of nothing the happening. yeah having to stay at home. <laughs> I mean, I say having to stay at home, but with I mean, I'm perpetually at home at the moment. But yeah, even in other years, New Year's Day is such a non-event to me.
1: Mm, it's more of a day of rest, whereas Christmas is a day of celebration, and yeah, uh, there there's always like activity. I think most people on New Year's Day just want to kind of like sleep late and hundred
0: percent
2: a hundred percent yeah um so I, I i don't know i don't like the airing on new year's day thing in general really i mean it reminds me of the airing on sundays thing like to mm. me i don't want kids to associate sunday nights with doctor who like i don't want them to hear the doctor who theme tune and and think oh god that reminds me of having to go back to school do you know what i <laughs> mean and, uh, the new year's day thing is yeah. a su- a similarly kind of Oh, January blues. Oh, and it's Doctor Who. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe I'm being maybe I- I'm being pessimistic now.
1: No, I mean, listen, it's it's catching. But what did you think of it? Did it meet your expectations?
2: Yeah, I think it did. I think it exceeded them a little bit. Um, I yeah, I I really enjoyed it actually. Uh, obviously I've got problems with it, um, because I'm grumpy like that. But I, <laughs> yeah, by and large, enjoyed myself and I thought there was some really good stuff in it. I can't say that it surprised me that much because like all of the elements played out like I pretty much like I expected them to. But that's okay.
1: Yeah, it was to me, it was about the very best that Chiddle could do um, just based on like what we know of him. And so if I was grading it, uh, you know, against the rest of his era, I would say of the scripts he's written, it's definitely at the top.
2: I'd say it's up there. Yeah, I don't know if it's the best one that he's done, but I'd say it's up there. I probably mm. enjoyed it more than Resolution, and I probably mm. enjoyed it more than Spyfall as well. So yeah, it's definitely well, the best of the specials. Yeah.
1: Well, and see Spyfall's not a special. They tricked us. Yeah, That's it's just not part really. Of the season. That that, <laughs> fir- that first part
2: of Spyfall though does feel quite specially.
1: It does, cuz it's got a lot it's got a lot of bombast. There are a lot of things going on, but I'm going to be a real pedant annoying <laughs> person and just till my dying, this will be the hill I die on for, doc, <laughs> for Doctor Who. That is not a special. But, I mean,
2: you can, you <laughs> can imagine a world where, you know, Spyfall aired, aired on Christmas day and Spyfall two aired on New Year's day. Like and it, that would have been exciting. It felt specially in a way. I, don't yeah. know. I, I get that it is the, the start of a season and they did us a little bit. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I do miss the Christmas ones. I don't know about you, Joy.
1: I, I really miss them. Um, this is not a plug for my show, but I, I am going to talk about plug away, my show. Look so, away. Um. The last episode of Reality Bomb uh, that we did, I did a segment about the Christmas specials. Just, I'm not really like bemoaning the loss of them, but just celebrating um, what made them special and like why people um, feel so fondly for them. Because I feel really fondly for them, and Uh I know I've I've had some friends say like, "Oh, but at least now I don't have to go hide from my family to watch Doctor Who." You know, a lot of my friends are Americans or North Americans, and Doctor Who on Christmas is not really the institution over here that it is in, in. England but so also we no, have to no like go out of watch on
2: Christmas day like you can watch it on boxing day if you really want to
1: <laughs> well you know obsessive fans gotta watch <laughs> it immediately and and I always felt like no having it on Christmas it's like a reward for for a, a really long day spent with family that can often be really stressful yeah so it's nice to get that episode at the end and just have a good cry and
2: <laughs> and it's it, you know it's like a, a Christmas present in and of itself isn't it
1: absolutely 100 percent
2: um and i i guess an argument a lot of people throw at it is oh well it got a little bit exhausting having to make a story about christmas every single year but i think the show was already you know in its last few christmas specials i think it was already starting to starting to realize that that um you know that idea train had come to a stop and it was time to you know the stories like husbands of riversong and return of dr mysterio are not really that christmasy like that they have a couple of christmas references or they they happen to be set sometimes at christmas but it's mm. not do you know what i mean it feels just more festive rather than christmasy
0: yeah
1: it's not integral to the story and really i i would i don't need the story to have anything to do with with the holiday at all because no, me neither it's just more about having like a special episode of doctor who to watch at the end of the night
2: yeah but alas we don't have that anymore we have new year's specials apparently for the for the foreseeable future
1: <laughs> and it did give it did give us something to look forward to on New Year's Day, which is that's truly A little bit of a bummer.
2: Yeah, and, and also <laughs> I, I don't think I don't think this story would have worked on Christmas Day. No, but it's a little bleak. It was bleak at the start. I mean, it had a more celebratory tone as the story went on, but I I don't know. It just didn't feel didn't feel Christmassy.
1: Mm. What about it felt special to you, like in terms of like, did you feel like it had enough of a of a special episode vibe?
2: Yeah, I think the way, I mean, this is one of the questions we got actually, or it's related to it, but oh. one of the, one of the things that they seem to be doing now is like throwing story elements at the special to make it special, if you get me. So we had, mm. we had Daleks, we had, um, and we had Jack and those were the things that made it feel really high budget and really big and yeah like it was like it was a special
1: mm yeah i agree i thought that the the inclusion of jack coming back and and you're right i now i'm remembering this is a question we got uh yeah the inclusion of a returning character does make it feel like a little bit more like an event which is nice um and it occurred to me also that the daleks made it feel a little bit like an event yeah um,
2: and that was that was true of resolution too you know yeah. a couple of years ago it really felt like especially cuz in series 11 we'd had no recurring um monsters or characters at all it really felt like oh okay it's it's uh you know it's the christmas period you can have a dalek mm. and this and you know this <laughs> was that turned up to 11 which i enjoyed I, <laughs> exactly I, really, I wasn't sure about jack's return though i don't know about you what what were your thoughts there broadly
1: well i, I don't i'm not a huge fan of um arachnids it's like middling for oh, me I was in that series. about captain jack Oh, Jack. Uh, they're both named Jack, by the yeah. way. Jack Robertson and Captain Jack. That's Captain true. Jack. Uh, well, I have complicated feelings about uh, the John Barrowman. Uh, I love the character. And it's funny. I was a little concerned about his return just because I have those complicated feelings about John Barrowman. But as soon as he was on screen, I was like, oh, I love I love Jack. He's amazing. Uh, what, what is it that makes
2: you have complicated feelings? I mean, I suspect I know his, what the answer is going to be. but
1: Yeah, his onset behavior is really not great yeah <laughs> and so I've heard. if you don't know what it is listeners you can go google you can it google you
0: don't that. Need <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah i mean to be honest from from my point of view i i mean i get why you'd feel that way but i the the personalities or behavior of actors never never crosses my mind when i'm watching stuff do you know what i mean i could watch something with sheila buff in it tomorrow and it wouldn't Mm. It wouldn't bother me. I don't know. But writers, it's different. And, crea- uh, you know, musicians, oh, it's different. Um, but I, an actor, I, I just... They're a vessel for that character. And I don't... Yeah, I, I, I don't... I'm not sure that I care that much about what John John Barrowman's personality or behaviour is like. But I suppose it is a little bit different with someone like Captain Jack, because that's a character that seems so fused to its actor, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and... I I typically don't actually care as much either, I, you know, especially for certain actors where they really disappear into their roles. But Captain Jack is so close to John Barrowman. And, like, especially if you've seen him at conventions, like, he really plays into that personality type. Yeah. So it's... It's really more the difficulty for me, at least in the past few years, is that when I've seen him at conventions, I find it a little hard to like look at him (laughs) because of what I know. But uh, so I thought that would carry over into the show. And it really did. Thank God, because he really is integral in that in that first part of the story. So I was pleased to see him once he was there. It was just a little like I was I was worried about
2: it. You know, he was integral to that first sort of 20 minutes. But Mm. I did, as the story went on and, uh, you know, as I was sitting with the story in the days following, I was kind of thinking, why, though? Like, why, other than we? W- <laughs> it's, it's New Year's <laughs> Day, so we want Captain Jack, and other than the fact that Chris Chibnall has this history with that character and, and you know, the fans wanting to see him again, what was it about that story that that lent itself to Captain Jack returning? Like, it didn't... Like, I feel like you could replace that with any number of other characters and it would have still worked.
0: Mm, like the, st- the scene with Yaz yeah.
2: where he's talking about, you know, the Doctor leaves you behind or whatever that philosoph- uh, philosophical discussion was. I don't know. It didn't feel, feel like we needed Jack for that.
1: Right. And the so the conspiracy theory that I've seen floated is that he was supposed to have more of a, a role in the coming series, but due to various probably COVID-related reasons that did not work out right, because okay. in his leaving when he says goodbye and he's talking about Gwen Cooper it's all ADR yeah, and it's so you all like don't on the see phone. him it's
2: really odd isn't mm-hmm. it
1: and the doctor's response is ADR also you are, you're actually looking at Yaz when she replies so something is missing there <laughs>
2: so you think they were setting something up and now that thing doesn't exist in the season so they had to cut it out
1: possibly or maybe even like a, a little arc for him kind of in the way that when they brought Martha back, it wasn't just for one story. You know, she hung around, um, you know, for for another. And, I, you know, maybe that was the plan for, for that character. I, I mean, who's to say? I don't actually know. It, but I do think that it's weird to have him come back in such a momentous way. And then his his leaving is just kind of like, I'm on the phone, bye. But
2: yeah, okay, bye then. It was quite odd. I remember thinking that at the time. yeah. Yeah, it didn't. I don't know. It felt like everything about it was kind of weirdly underplayed.
0: Hmm.
2: Like there was no, there was no thematic resonance to any of it. It was, it felt like. It felt like the, maybe the second or third story that he'd returned in. It didn't feel like this moment. Obviously, we had him in Fugitive of the Doom, but it wasn't a meaningful return. And it, yeah, it didn't. It didn't yeah. have the gravity that I wanted, and it didn't have that. Th- it, I didn't. Know, I didn't see it grasping for any of the themes of the story.
1: Yeah, and at the time, it didn't really actually even register to me that something different had happened. I was still feeling a lot of emotion knowing what was going to be happening with Graham and Ryan. And so I was really in that headspace. And it was only after I saw people saying, like, hey, what's up with that? Where I went, oh, oh, yeah, that that is also a thing. But I was just, like, so wrapped up in other things. It didn't hit me at first.
2: Yeah, I I know what you mean. I mean, I'm thinking about when Jack first returns in utopia you know he's been gone he's in se- mm. series one he's not in series two and then when he comes back in series three it's given this weight and it's given this gravity and utopia as much as it's about the master's return and it's about the you know the the uh society um on the planet it's it feels like it's all grounded in jack because it's about things not lasting forever and things lasting too long mm. and immortality mm-hmm. and you know, it feels like the immortality of the human race and the and the horror of that is mirrored by Jack and the Doctor's horrified by it. And there's this weird and there's this whole oh my god Jack's back thing. And that was when he'd been gone for a season. And then he's <laughs> he's gone for a decade. And it feels yeah. it felt lightweight. I don't know. Maybe we don't need that massive thematic thing. But it, I don't know. I didn't I didn't get much from it. Also, the the whole conversation he had with Yaz about like you don't choose when to leave the Doctor, but he has done that numerous times.
1: Yeah, it's not a great line. It's a little clumsy because it's a beautiful idea, but then he contradicts himself. And I can't take credit for this. I think I saw Max I, Curtis say this yeah, first. me too. But, you know, you don't get to choose when it stops. And then the very next thing he says is, whether you leave her or she leaves you, it's like, but if you leave her, then <laughs> you're, you're yeah. probably choosing
2: that. I mean, you can interpret it's- that in a sort of like, it's something that you it's something you that that is necessary for you to do do you know what i mean like it doesn't feel like a choice it feels like a necessity
1: right you're you're stuck her. in a parallel universe like rose
2: yeah but or it even <laughs> even emotionally it's like i have to do this now i can't mm. this isn't really a choice yeah it, it's more to me that at the end of the story and i think i've I've stolen this from andrew ellard but at the end of the story he he buggers off and it's like well you just chose to leave the doctor. <laughs> so what? What? Are you t- it was a it was a weird thing to come from. That character, like it would be, it yeah. would make more sense to come from a character like Donna or Clara. Oh, I don't know. It was
1: that would a, be too much.
2: It would be too much. <laughs> but it, it, I don't know. It was. It felt like a weird fit to me.
1: Yeah. No. I I totally see that. And uh, you know, I, I wish I wish that it was maybe handled a little bit better or at least I mean I think a little bit more elegantly mm. but I th- I think it did accomplish what it was meaning to in that it was at least giving Yaz an opportunity to express her feelings of disappointment that she was left and also it was really great to actually hear her articulate what it is that she loves about traveling with the doctor because i feel like it's often been implied but never really stated and so when she talks about like being out in the universe and seeing all the things that she's seen and doing all the things that she's been doing and then to have that just stop that she would rather have never had it happen at all that's so important to hear her say because we really don't get it didn't it 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 felt like what
2: you feel like when you're in a relationship and you feel like it's going to end it's like I'd rather never have met this person. So I'd rather never have been in love with this mm. person than, um, you know, than than have to lose them. And I think that's, I don't know, that felt like it was gesturing at something to me. But maybe that's wishful oh, she thinking. is
1: in love.
2: <laughs> I hope so. But uh, that was another <laughs> question we got. So maybe we'll leave that for now. Um, <laughs> it felt odd to me that they um, that Jack was paired initially with Yaz, and then obviously later he gets paired with Graham and Ryan, and. Mm other than that first section he doesn't actually spend a great deal of the story with the Doctor which is fine but it, but I don't know again it's like I wanted something from that reunion yeah. with a character he knew and and uh, I feel like you could have really got something thematically from that of like these two science fiction um, alien characters um, feeling so separate and distinct from our human companions and that, that could be a tension for Yaz and Graham and Ryan right Um, like
1: that scene where in utopia where jack is dealing with the radioactive material and that scene with the doctor is so incredible and iconic uh we could have had like a 2.0 of that
2: yeah definitely definitely and that would have been given some both of those actors something incredible to do i'd have loved to see to have seen that but Mm. we didn't see that and that's fine right um so, what were your feelings about kind of the um, the political side of things then? But the 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 setup of the story with the Dalek and Jack Robertson and mm. the, and I'm just going to call her Theresa May because I don't remember the character <laughs> name and she is Theresa May. <laughs> um, uh. what did that all <laughs> stuff all do for you? I mean, as a as an American, I guess as well because it's gonna, you know, you'll know about the situation in the UK, but it's not. I don't know how did that play internationally? I guess.
1: Yeah, so I I'm always a little embarrassed at how little I know about UK politics when I see my friends from the UK knowing so much about American politics. Mm. I'm like, oh, this is this is quite embarrassing for me. Um, so I don't know that much about um about her, but I know she is not a beloved figure. But more generally, <laughs> I think you can say that. Again. Um, yeah. I think what the what the episode is at least, you know, getting at in terms of um, just, like, an increased police state around the world and how there is this turn now towards um, politicians using this idea of security um, a little bit as a dog whistle to voters um, and constituents um, as a way of, right, like, separating themselves. And, like, there's a thing that... Um, jack robertson says where he says you know police are under pressure budgets are falling and that could have been written in july 2020 and we know this was written you know like over a year before that probably um but
2: gosh well it was filmed nearly a year ago so it must i don't know knows when this was written and i think you can tell because it's obviously dated a little bit because we've not Theresa may hasn't been prime minister now for a (laughs) while Um, Yeah. but yeah but still it was it was as you say it uh w- still resonated
1: it did and it almost felt like a little bit like is Chipnell a witch like <laughs> there was something that was almost like too spot on about it um and that may not have been had it aired right like in january 2020 then let's say you know now um january 2021 Ugh. How strange that it's 2021, Um, (laughs) but now it feels a little bit like, oh wow, that is just like so on the nose, but important, right? Because just this idea also of like talking about AI being in charge of any kind of security, um, at least in the states. I love that I can hear a siren
2: in wherever you are while you're saying this. uh, So
1: I, I am in uh, Queens, New York and I live down the street from a hospital, so um, the sirens have been going with a lot more frequency lately, which is sad, sad. Um, and it's also loud. (laughs) So I think that, I mean, I know that in the US this has been an issue, I don't know if it's been like this also in the UK, but um, the use of AI in law enforcement has been a really contentious topic, Um, and so I did like that it was playing with that. I don't know that it did it super well, but also I don't know how many Doctor Who episodes ever really do kind of like a perfect, right? You know, yeah. analogy to to modern actual life. So I mean, I, I liked yeah. that it made people think about it.
2: I've been saying, I've been seeing this a lot online, like, oh, I wish Chibnall had done more with the whole um, police thing or with the whole security thing, and, and and delved into those political themes more. And I've I've seen it said again and again, but. I don't know. Part of me thinks, like, what more do you want him to do? Like, he put those images there. He gestured towards it, and this might be me uh, being a bit of a centrist, but I, d- I don't know. I don't know if I'm. I, I think it's unrealistic to expect Doctor Who to openly criti- criticize the police force on BBC One on New Year's Day, and mm. I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Whe- I mean, whether it should or shouldn't, that's not. I don't know. That's kind of beside the point to me. It's like it's just not going to. And <laughs> right. it's not it's never going to delve into those topics in, in the way that something else is. It's 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 on, it's only ever going to gesture towards them. And it's a, and it's a gateway for people to think about that stuff. And it's not. I right. don't know. Am I being, no, g- am for I being sure. too generous there?
1: No, I I mean, I think you're absolutely right. And I mean, just from a from a creative standpoint, you have the doctor, you have a returning guest in Jack. You've got three companions. Yeah. You have a villain And, um, well, you have an antagonist and, you know, classic baddies coming back. So much going on. Where is the room to actually really delve into, (laughs) like, what the Daleks represent in terms of a police state? um, It would have been wrong to do that
2: and to have taken away from some of the other things in the episode, I think, as well. You know, some of the the companion departures and the return of Jack and the doctor's story. I think it, it would have been too much.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'll i take character moments over theme. I would say not always, but in this instance, for this story, um, and what it had to do in terms of a, uh, basically turning over a new page for, for this cast. Like, obviously, you want character moments.
2: Yeah, 100%, and I was glad we got them. What did you think, then, of Jack Robertson's character? Because he... It was kind of markedly different from the way he'd been in Arachnids in the UK.
1: He was, wasn't he? He was a little, like, hammier.
2: He was more weaselly. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And he was less, obviously, a Donald Trump. He was more of a Bezos than a Trump this time.
1: Oh, interesting. Because I thought that Chris Noth was doing a little bit more of a a Trumpian kind of cadence. with his.
2: Maybe, maybe. I just kind of felt there like was, it, what his role in the story was less of a trump. Oh yeah,
1: know. yeah, no, for sure. I mean, because he, now he's really more of a of a businessman. Um, I, I I felt a little bit like it. He his main function, like especially on rewatch, because m- when I went through again, I was taking notes. I was a little con- like on first watch thinking why is he here he's kind of annoying and i don't really even like him and i hate it when bad guys get away it's just i mean i it's fine he got away
2: again didn't he twice yes again
1: but watching it again i realized i was like oh he's there because he has to complicate the plot at a moment when there's actually nothing else that can happen Mm. um so he comes in and then goes to basically tattle on the doctor yeah (laughs) and that launches a new set of actions. I mean, that felt so very
2: classic Who to me. He's just—he's totally. the sort of character that would have attempted to. He's a Mavic Chen or something, isn't he? Who attempts mm. to conspire with the Daleks to their peril? He was uh, sort yeah. of fulfilling that role, which I, which I thought was camp and funny and exciting.
1: It was very like it, it was like the Master, but just so badly done not mm. like that the writing was badly done but like he couldn't quite get it right because he's not a smart enough person Yeah, no, of
2: course not he was just a stupid person so it's was... <laughs> I, I don't know what they're trying to say with obviously he's got away with his actions on two occasions now and i think you know maybe that is a political commentary on the fact that donald trump's not really got his comeuppance yet
0: mm.
2: and and certainly had not when this story was written he was still the sitting president and well he is now i guess but you maybe that maybe that's what it's trying to do is reflect is reflect that a little bit that we live in mm. a world where those kind of bad guys haven't quite um, faced the music yet.
1: Do you think that he's going to come back for a third story, like a trilogy, to close out his arc or something?
2: I mean, I would not say no to that. Actually, I was very shocked when he came when he was announced he was coming back for this because he seemed like such an incidental character. But actually, now I think maybe we need a um. Maybe we need a, a third a third part mm. for him. What I wouldn't want though was for Chibnall to kind of imply that that kind of evil has been wiped off the face of the earth because Joe Biden has been elected as, as president. Which I think is right. may is would maybe be the bit of danger of doing a of doing a um Jack Robertson gets his comeuppance story in this world.
1: Yeah. Right. What does that even mean? right for him to to face any kind of justice yeah um and how will that land on us it's hard to predict the world changes so much right now
2: <laughs> definitely and that must be a pro it must be like a, an issue for writers at the moment uh, in all fields and in all yeah on all projects because you're just thinking well how on earth am i supposed to the comedian stuart lee's talked about this in his last few shows it's like he writes a load of jokes and then two weeks later <laughs> they're completely out of date and i think yeah that's fine when you're a touring comedian and you can change your routine every night but when you're writing a tv drama that's produced a year in advance i don't know it's kind of difficult to to produce meaningful political commentary isn't it
1: yeah and and it's also hard when the the people that you're trying to skewer are themselves so ridiculous it's like where do you even go
2: it's true it's like yeah, you compare Chris Knott's performance as Jack Robertson and Donald Trump's performance as Donald Trump, and Donald Trump is by far the more ridiculous figure. Mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. Which
2: is so funny, because at any other point in history, the fictional one would have been way more ridiculous. Yeah. But you can't do that now, because it would just be, I mean, it would be outrageous.
1: And in that respect, it kind of makes the the creation of that character um and the performance and also the just the audacity to bring him back kind of, uh, I feel like meaningful or at least more meaningful because uh, you know, it's it's really difficult to land. And so, you know, Chimmi must have really, really wanted him there for, a specific person purpose and I think I agree with you I don't know that I would have wanted him back necessarily before this episode but now that he's been back I do kind of want to see where they would go with this character once again just because they purposely have that scene where you see you know the news talking about him possible presidential run um I don't know I feel like that's a good ending for him but it's not satisfying <laughs> so
2: no I mean I enjoyed him much more this time The first time I Mm. thought, I mean, this is a bit lazy. Like, this is a bit of a lazy pop at Trump. Like, you know everyone's (laughs) going to agree with you. Like, it's not. I just didn't find it that interesting. It wasn't saying anything new to me about Donald Trump or his uh, politics or, you know, people like him. But this time it was like, it felt like it wasn't so much trying to do that. And it was just trying to be a bit hammy and a bit campy. And I I I preferred that. It was yeah. less ambitious, but it was more satisfying.
1: Absolutely, yeah.
2: Um, what about the new Daleks then? This is a bit um but obviously we got a new Dalek design, but it, they weren't really Daleks <laughs> in the way that we know them.
1: They weren't. And so I was cackling to myself yesterday listening to your episode, um, your Christmas episode <laughs> with Johnny, because I think you were referencing something that Chibnall had said about uh, – wanting the design to look less like a man in a pepper pot mm, yeah um i forget what it was exactly that one of you said about it but it just made me laugh so hard because <laughs> uh they're fine i don't actually really care what the daleks look like too much sure. i thought the really really skinny one in resolution was very disturbing before i actually saw the episode but then like i disturbing in a way where i was like oh i don't want to look at this okay uh, in the context of the episode i was like oh okay this is this is fine i thought that one Uh, yeah
2: that one really worked in the context of the episode definitely
1: because it's like all built from like scrap metal and it was dirty and it felt really menacing because it was so scrappy yeah um these new ones they weren't offensive looking um and i understand the idea of like wanting them to maybe look a little bit more realistic but I also really was resonating with what with what the two of you were saying where there is an element of camp about the Daleks and to try and turn away from that feels a little bit like turning away from what they are inherently
2: yeah and I was glad that ultimately the show didn't do that because obviously we got regular Daleks as well
1: Yeah. Uh, Uh, I I, I, I loved that little bridge standoff. That was hilarious.
2: It was so funny. But that's the thing that I didn't hate this new design. Like, if they'd said, okay, this is what the Dalek's going to look like now, like, I wouldn't have had a tantrum about it. It would have been fine. But I I did breathe a little sigh of relief when I realized it was going to be a one off. (laughs) Uh,
1: What did you think of the the doctor using the, like, the Special Forces Daleks, like the race purity maniacs to come in? Wow. Because some people have been very unhappy about it. I've
2: seen I've seen murmurs about okay this is just a sci-fi version of what she did to the master in Spyfall. Mhm. And I think maybe that's a bit of a stretch because I I yeah, I just think that's a bit of a stretch. The 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 maybe it's not my place to say that but I think the the problem with the bit in Spyfall was that you are looking on the screen at a person of color and it's mm-hmm. deeply unpleasant and it sits badly whereas when it's a dalek i'm not sure it i'm not sure it has the same connotations and i'm not sure it's as visceral a moment but you might disagree with me
0: Um,
1: no i i mean i agree with you i think that so it's like putting mapping a metaphor onto a metaphor and at that point it everything starts to like lose any meaning yeah because the daleks are metaphor like they do represent nazism that we know we like this is very clear to i would say most people right yeah However, it is they are a metaphor. The the doctor to say that the action of this is like what she did in Spyfall, another metaphor, right? We're starting to unravel this to a point where it's like, okay, but take it all the way back. The Daleks aren't real. <laughs> like they are an alien, mm-hmm. fictional race of creatures. And I think you're absolutely right. It's not the same as the doctor making that choice. as a, And this is all like analysis of what the the character is doing. For the doctor to make that decision to turn the Nazis onto the master as he presents as a man of color, Mm -hmm. that's like a level of violence that we don't want to see the doctor do. Whereas like we've seen the doctor turn the Daleks against each other countless times.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and it almost feels like the doctor just exploiting a Nazi's sense of self hatred, doesn't it?
1: It's a hundred percent. It's the same mechanic, like it's the same move, but it just does not resonate in the no, same way.
2: No, I, I, I think I agree with you. Um, I yeah, I, I mean I've seen murmurs as well from again from people like Andrew Ollard that her plan is a little bit nonsensical because. Couldn't there have been some way in which she just lured the first group of Daleks into the TARDIS in the first place?
1: Mm, but how do they know the doc? Like, do they know who the doctor
2: is? I mean, he was saying that you could just get around that. She could just upload the information or there'd be get-arounds mm. for that. But yeah, I don't know.
1: I mean, I, I suppose. I, I think Andrew Allard is incredibly smart and I really love his tweet notes. Um, but in general i don't love to th- spend too much time thinking about like well how else could this have been done just because yeah it totally. wasn't um, yeah actually
2: and i think that's a <clears throat> not to um bitch about andrew but i think that's a a trap that he rarely falls into because as a script editor you want to be saying okay how do we how do we adjust the story as is don't right you, you don't want to be saying right. necessarily let's write a new story Maybe I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm not a script editor and he is. But it felt, <laughs> it felt un-Andrew Allardy, that note, a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Because, I mean, my pet, my big pet peeve um, is when people speculate about what is what they think the story should do next um, and and then get angry if it doesn't do the thing that they wanted it to. Because it's like, well, that... Yeah you're angry about something that was in your own head yeah my (laughs) position is
2: like it's fine to speculate and it's fine to invent alternative versions of stories or think about what you would have done instead but that's not firstly that's not media criticism and that's just something else entirely and secondly you don't then have a right to be pissed off about it
1: yeah well i mean i mean who's to say what anyone has a right to be angry about anyway (laughs) like, in the grand scheme of things, because I, I think there's almost, ve- I would say there's very, very few things, as far as, like, a fandom is concerned, that, that should really, like, make one one's blood boil, um, and sometimes it feels like, I mean, at least just because through text, sometimes people's tone can seem a lot angrier <laughs> than maybe they actually are, uh, sometimes yeah. I just want to say to people, like, yo, this is, like, just chill, this is all fake. <laughs> <laughs>
2: One of my favorite things is people using the word fake to talk about fiction. It really cracks <laughs> me up.
1: Cuz I think it just it, it boils it down to to like a simplification that Definitely. you kind of can't ignore. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Excellent. Um what I'm thinking about other story elements um that we had we've covered um we've covered Theresa May and Jack Robertson. We've covered mm-hmm. the new Daleks um well what one thing that was interesting was the way in which the the story decided to pace itself in the first sort of twenty minutes or so mm-hmm. and it and it really um it it really built up the threat from resolution and it showed that whole journey. It would have been so easy to just do that in a couple of lines of dialogue, but they chose to show it didn't they um how did you feel yeah. about that
1: i I really loved the beginning as far as the story structure was concerned of you know seeing kind of like this callback to the old the old episode i love it when doctor doctor who does that actually when you know you get rewound rewound back to like an episode from over a year ago and you're like oh this this happened and that's like well
2: like like two years
1: yeah It, it was two years ago oh god um and so that's fun to get a little bit of a glimpse of that. And I think a thing Chibnall does very well is when he shows very mundane moments um, in the midst of a, an incredibly like high concept sci-fi yeah. happening. And so to see these two people standing around like waiting for like a, a destroyed Dalek to get loaded into a truck, <laughs> was kind of beautifully mundane.
2: Yeah, yeah. Although I hate the thing he does where he he tries to like. Make you feel sorry for the character by putting uh, in a couple of lines about their mum. Like I just can't. I just it never works on me. It feels cruel, <laughs> and it. I don't know. <laughs> it's just so transparent what he's doing that it just that just never lands yeah. for me.
1: I th- I think that oh God, there's there's a line in. There's a part in Woman Who Fell to Earth where uh, I think one of the construction guys. Yeah, he's talking to his granddaughter. (laughs) That was the moment
2: I was thinking as well. well. That is so cruel, though, because that that lasts quite a while. Like, that's like a good 30 to 45 seconds of conversation, I think.
1: It is. It's long, and he's talking to her, and I think similarly saying, like, oh, I'll see you soon. Yeah. And I mean, I'm laughing because it's not funny, but it is also funny that this is just a thing he's very. I think he's. He's very good at knowing how to drop those moments in, but I don't love it that he does it all the time with these minor characters because then it's just a signal, like, this person's going to die.
2: Yeah, and it becomes silly, doesn't it? It becomes, like, a pantomime.
1: It it does. And I was also very concerned about this character to begin with because when he showed up and I was like, oh, this is a brown man, please don't kill him, please don't kill him. Oh, yeah,
2: and obviously. <laughs> Although, that said, that does bring us quite... um nicely to the graham and ryan departure because there was lots of worry about firstly is ryan going to get murdered by the daleks wouldn't that be dreadful because of what you've just touched on and also is graham going to get murdered by the daleks wouldn't that be dreadful because of everything he's been through i mm. just wanted those two men to be absolutely fine and they were and their departure was my favorite thing about the entire story
1: as far as companion departures go like where does it rank for you
2: um oh I don't know I've never thought about my ranking of of companion departures. Um Yeah I I'd say it's pretty high. I'd like I like companions to leave in that way. Um mm. Yeah, I don't know, hard to say. Hard to say. Cuz it's hard it's hard to do that without thinking about the quality of the stories themselves.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, that's that's really true too. I like that they had the choice to go and I felt like they did a really good job of seeding ryan's departure yeah seeing that like you know he's again they completely
2: undermines captain jack's whole thing
1: yeah Mm. (laughs) (laughs) so they did a good job with him uh and i'm i'm so glad that nothing bad happened to them but i also i don't know i mean i said before i had no expectations i was also pretty confident that nothing bad was going to happen to them
2: uh oh really i thought something might happen to um i thought something might happen to one of them I don't know. I thought maybe Graham's cancer would recur or something like that.
1: I don't know. I don't know why I had the sense. I just felt like I think they're going to be okay. And I don't know why I just did. I think part of it is that, you know, Moffat's tendency is always to, well, not always his tendency is to never kill anybody. And even when he does kill someone, they come back. Whereas Chibnall, like even minor characters, whereas Chibnall has like a very high body count. Um, but it, I don't know that I've ever like really felt a character death. I mean, maybe there's a couple. I would say like you know, poor Kira Arlo and *Kerblam*. That's just mean. Yeah, but that's yeah. not his writing. Um, that's just a character in his era. So I mean,
2: Grace, I, I felt.
1: Yeah, that was rough, but not a main. Like, I don't know that from his standpoint as a writer. I think he just hasn't really like tortured us with a character death in a way that like you know there are certain character deaths in the rtd or you know moffat era moffat would always pull it back but like where you'd really feel it and grace i think definitely did that but maybe not in the way that he expected
2: yeah but i think that grace death i don't know the grace death was what pointed me to maybe something's going to happen to these two because i feel like Chibnall is manipulative like that as a writer, <laughs> in that, like,
1: like wants you to be afraid.
2: Yeah, and like he, that's the way he builds drama. Like he built the characters of Ryan and Graham out of the death of Gra- of Grace, which is obviously problematic in all kinds of ways. But that was what he, that was how that was structured. Like the character of Grace would not have existed were it not for the mm. the drama that needed to occur. And he kind of did the same thing. Obviously, there was no character death. But with the destruction of Gallifrey, that felt right. similarly... Like it was there to, to 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 give the Doctor some character moments throughout yeah. the following couple of series. And, like, it felt like the Grace death. It felt similar. Obviously, they're different. But it felt similarly too easy. And, like, out of nowhere and ill-judged. Mm. And I, I was worried something else. Like I was worried he was going to pull the same trick with either Ryan or Graham in order to service Yaz and the Doctor's arc going forward. And I was really glad that he didn't do that. And he actually resisted that temptation. That oh, yeah. He must have had.
1: Uh, what did you think of their final scene? Their final, final scene.
2: With the bike? I actually yeah. loved that too. I loved it because I... I've been. I've had a f- few conversations with people now about Ryan's dis- dyspraxia, and mm. I felt in some parts of the series, uh, the couple of series he's been in, it's been dealt with rather clumsily because it's been treated as kind of something that he can solve. You know, I'm thinking about the moment where he's throwing the grenade in um, Ascension of the s- is it Ascension mm-hmm. of the Seidman's Timeless Children. One of those two stories. Yeah. And um, and it feels like oh, he's conquered his dyspraxia now. And it, that narrative was not ever present, but it, it sometimes felt like it was heading that way. And that feels wrong to me. It feels like it should be, we should accept the dyspraxia as part of him rather than trying to fix it. And it it felt nice to me that he still couldn't ride the bike. And yeah, he was trying mm-hmm. and yeah, he might get there one day. But it felt like, I don't know, I, I preferred it that they didn't show him succeeding riding that bike.
1: Yeah, 100%. I, I, I thought it was lovely also for, for all those reasons. I just hated the the grace coming out of the, the sky as a vision thing. I just, I hated it so much. My friend Nicole, um, who runs Black TARDIS, yes, she, yeah. she said, her. and we we're in his Slack together, and she just, she typed in, let her rest in all caps. <laughs> And I just thought, yes, that exactly. Let her rest, please. Like, I, and I just knew that he was going to do it. And yeah. <laughs> I was like, I know he's going to make me sad and angry about this <laughs> when I really don't want to be feeling like that right now. I'm like happy for Graham and Ryan. Yeah. I'm happy that they're going to go off and be like dude bros, space alien investigators or whatever <laughs> it is that they're going to do. Um, and probably not be so great at it. I mean, they didn't do so well on their own no, <laughs> prior no. to the doctor's arrival. Um but I was like, oh, why would you need to bring her back? Like, I love I love, love seeing the character when yeah. I actually kind of like her when she comes in and it, it takes you away. That's just such a bonker story. But I was like, oh, please just leave her. Leave her be.
2: It also, I mean, aside from any of the, the kind of um, race politics implications of it or any of that stuff, I think it just didn't feel very Doctor Who. I mean, all of the times that Chibnall's brought back, I mean, I guess it's just, Twice, isn't it? It's this one and Ratnitz in the UK, and he's brought Grace back as this kind of vision for Graham mm. and for Ryan. It that doesn't really feel like the way the the doesn't really feel like the language of Doctor Who.
1: Mm, that's interesting. I, I I think that's right, and it, it's also maybe putting too fine a point on the f- the fact that her death was a huge part of their character motivations and maybe you don't want to remind people of that. (laughs) Yeah, maybe not,
2: maybe not. (laughs) I mean, do we, the other thing I thought, and this is a bit silly, but are we to accept that vision as a genuine ghost? Because it had me thinking about Graham (laughs) seeing the ghosts that were never explained in (gasps) Villa Diodati. So then I was thinking, wait, is Chibnall implying, I mean, he probably never thought of this connection, but is he implying that that is a genuine ghost of Grace?
1: I mean, I kind of love that explanation. Do you prefer that? <laughs> I think I do. Yeah. It's It feels... I'd rather have there be, like, an in-world explanation rather than this is an artistic vision of them both sharing a fond memory yeah, of yeah. their dead relative.
2: <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> true. It was a weird moment. But, yeah, as it happened, I was like, oh, yeah, I'm not surprised by this in any way. It just washed <laughs> over me.
1: <laughs> oh, dear. Um... Should we talk about Yaz some more?
2: Yeah, let's talk about Yaz some more. Obviously we've we've already touched on the kind of moment she had with um with Jack. Um Well yeah, well how did you feel about her kind of her character through the story?
1: I just was so I was so pleased at how much she got to do. <laughs> I loved the idea of her, you know, being in that uh the spare TARDIS sleeping there and trying yeah, to figure out how to get the doctor back and it's so sad and she so clearly loves the doctor and now whether or not we want to assign that as romantic love or deep platonic love I don't actually even think it really matters for the purposes of talking about Yaz's character growth because yeah. she loves this person she loves this person really deeply and misses her and feels abandoned Um and this just felt like such a significant leap forward for her as a character, and I was so happy about it. Um, because yeah, I mean, it doesn't matter like, whether it's, it's what w- we've been a- waiting for.
2: Yeah, again, like we'll, we'll get to the whole romance thing later, but you're right that it doesn't really matter on a story level because I'm thinking of, of a story like Hell Bent, where mm-hmm. it's like that is about the love between two people. If you did that same story and the Doctor and Clara were in love romantically, it wouldn't really change. Like, it would right. be the same story, wouldn't it, beat for beat? And I think that's true here with Yaz.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of the beautiful thing about love is that it's it's about a, a really strong bond between two people. So, like, if you take the romance out of Doomsday and, right, basically Russell T. Davis has has said, like, they are in love. They were a couple. Like, that whole story arc is about them being in love with each other. Yeah. But if they're not, it still works the same. <laughs>
2: yeah yeah it is no different if you put Um, um 12 and clara in doomsday it still works
1: yep it's it's because they're so strongly bonded and all the adventures that they share together it's really important and special to yaz so uh this was so great and like to see her even just little things like oh gosh like the moment where they're at the the dalek um clone farm and she's trying to like unhook the pipes and he's like what are you doing she's like well we have to know what it's being fed because then that might be a way to defeat them like yes yes figure things out good for you
2: yeah yeah it was excellent that stuff and it was it really felt like oh they're setting her up now to be on her own Mm. and Uh, then yeah and then we got that revelation um (laughs) we may as well touch on that now i guess obviously i mean it's weird because when i watched it that teaser clip didn't air so I had to seek it out on social media afterwards because um, I watched it on it was really weird actually the BBC accidentally or on purpose released the episode like five or six minutes early on um, iPlayer so I, oh. I started watching it about five minutes early um, And but on that HD iPlayer version it didn't show us the, the the John Bishop clip afterwards. Firstly, I'm interested from an American, did you know who <laughs> John Bishop was? <laughs> what did this clip mean to you?
1: So here's here's a funny story i watched it um as it aired in the uk because i have a vpn don't tell anybody (laughs) um but so i use a vpn to watch um the the live airing funny you say that because this
2: podcast is sponsored by nordvpn no i'm just joking (laughs) i wish i could get some of that nordvpn cash Um,
1: (laughs) incidentally that is actually the vpn i use and they're very good (laughs) i'm not (laughs) going to advertise for
2: free i'm cutting that (laughs) (laughs) If they want an advert okay, from me, they've got, to, uh, they've got to pay me anyway. <laughs> they've got to earn the money, yeah,
1: <laughs> earn, earn the advertisement. Sorry, so, you're saying. I was watching live, and uh, I, I after the credits rolled, I was about to like you know, turn it off and go do something else, or I was about to check Twitter, and then as I was thinking that the announcer said, and stay tuned for a very special announcement, and I thought, oh, what's this, and uh. They they showed like I think it's like it's that clip starts with a shot of the Thames and so I was like is this an an ident like a that's the, that's <laughs> what the is...
2: Mersey I think rather than the oh, Thames because it? it's Liverpool um, where okay. John Bishop okay. is, is from yeah
1: that that I makes think, so much more sense because yeah. I was like I don't know what I'm looking at but it looks like a big river and I was like there's no Doctor Who ness in sight but mm. I kept watching and so as the the guy in the this The doorway starts saying things like you know oh 13 is a lucky number and blue is going to be important i was like oh this is doctor who related yeah what is this and when the man turned around and said john bishop will like something in doctor who my first i i literally said out loud to the screen (laughs) <laughs> who i just was like who is this man and i wasn't even angry i was just like i don't understand what this is and obviously he's important because they put his name in really big font which <laughs> means that everyone's gonna know him except me because i don't know who this, this man is and i thought I, my my I'm immediate thinking of wild this meme thought about,
2: that meme <laughs> about this man i'm sorry, sorry, to, I'm this sorry man. Man. to this I, I man i wouldn't
1: know him <laughs> no that that actually was me my first like wild like very um like worst case scenario thought was like did they cast a new doctor and no oh one told? like i was oh, no. freaking out freak like i was like i don't know what this means and then of course i went to the twitters and they informed me who he was but was initially yeah. so confused and and there ve- and felt very much like this is a bad version of introducing john hurt as the doctor uh,
2: no that would have been dreadful look i don't feel um so obviously i knew who john bishop was already i'm not a massive <laughs> fan of his or anything but he's kind of ubiquitous on uk tv he's like he's i don't know he's one of those standard comedians who is properly a telly comedian, like they would air his special on tv and mm. you know um he's really popular in the mainstream um and i kind of don't really have an opinion on him either way like if it, if it, i would never seek out a john bishop comedy special but if it was on and i had nothing else to watch i would let it be on do you know what i mean is he funny um yeah he's quite funny i guess he's i mean he's never like i say i would never put it on but um <laughs> he's funny in a mainstream way Okay. Um and I can't think of any of his routines. The one I'm th- I keep thinking of is actually a Mickey Flanagan routine, so that's not him. But um yeah, he yeah, he is quite funny and apparently he's got um he's got there's precedent there for him being a good actor as well. Like he's been in a couple of dramas, which I didn't oh. which I didn't know. Um so it's kinda it's kind of a Bradley Walsh situation in that like it's somebody who's really famous in the UK and is a good actor, but the UK public that aren't necessarily aware of that um but yeah it really does feel like graham again a little mm. bit it feels like chris chibnall i don't know settling back into old habits a little bit
1: perhaps i mean i was after i figured out who he actually was uh you know i f- i think that if i just had maybe like a month or two to just let the the set the the special settle in and Mm. you know have a little bit of distance and they said oh and coming in the new season we're gonna have a new companion and this is who it is I'd be like "Eh, I don't want this but like fine mm. there was something kind of like there was the high of feeling like wow right. Yaz is gonna go into so many great directions now and like she's gonna get an amazing storyline and and because the writing was just so strong for her in this where i thought like oh finally they made graham take a back because he really gets almost nothing to do
0: mm, and true.
1: you know it was like wow they had that guy sit in the back seat and yaz gets all this stuff to do and drive the story this is what we can expect to come and then to see like psych or we're bringing in another white guy immediately it's like oh oh, god damn it
2: i mean i think i actually i don't know if i agree with you i think i would have felt worse if i'd had a month (laughs) or so to get excited about to get in my mind oh we've definitely got a season with just the doctor and yaz and then and then John Bishop would have... I, I think that may have maybe would have been worse. I'm trying not to be too pessimistic about it because ultimately, like, it's still one fewer companion than we've had for the last two years. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> it's still, you know, it's still only two companions rather than three, which right. should count for something. Um, and we don't know what kind of character um, John Bishop is going to play. Like, everybody's kind of assuming he's going to be a comic relief one like Graham, but I think Chib- Chibnall... Is smarter than just doing Graham again. I think there's got to be something else to it. Um, so I'm tr- I am trying yeah. with all my might to keep an open mind. I mean, it will be interesting to see. We've never really had this in New Who of a new character stepping into a a, a dynamic that's so established.
1: Yeah, that's true. It's
2: it feels weird, doesn't it, that somebody else is coming in to the Doctor and Yaz's. Yeah, as well.
1: it's a little bit like jamie and the second doctor losing victoria and getting zoe
2: <laughs> yeah it's that vibe Exciting it is though.
1: totally that vibe i mean listen i he's my... caught covid at the moment anyway so i know that's awful he's fine
2: he's healthy um you know
1: 2021 my my new philosophy at least as far as Doctor Who fandom is concerned, is that like I, I'm really trying not to take anything too too seriously, just because um, if I if I let it get to me too much, then I just start to feel like this is needlessly affecting my mental health. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. Like it's a, this is a thing I can control, and I don't need to feel this way about a TV show. Um, so I'm I was a little disappointed because it felt like such a calm down, and it also made me a little sad to think about like. Subconsciously, what does this mean about the choices that the creative team are making? Like, what does it say that we have to have a white man on the TARDIS, even if they weren't specifically saying we need to get a white man on the TARDIS? Like, that's who they turn to. It also feels weird that
2: that they want that specific kind of—I mean, John Bishop is I think a little younger than Bradley Walsh, and they're obviously from they're from slightly different traditions. But it's weird that they think we want like an older ITV white man, like. We don't want, like it's weird that that's what they think we want.
1: Wait, can you explain to me what what specifically? I know ITV is another channel, but what does that like <sighs> imply? So ITV Oh god,
2: <laughs> how do I explain So br- firstly, I mean, Bradley Walsh and John Bishop are just people who would traditionally have appeared more regularly on ITV than BBC in my mind okay. anyway. Okay. Um How do I say this without being rude? ITV is is a less respected channel than BBC. It's like ITV drama is considered worse, significantly worse than BBC drama. Okay. And there's that a sense that you can tell when you're watching an ITV drama.
1: That that makes total sense to me. Yeah. That, that has cleared it up. But thank you, because I was a little bit like, I feel like I think I know what this is, but I also want clarification.
2: Yeah, <laughs> although it's interesting because Chibnall Broad... I don't know whether you saw Broadchurch, that Chibnall I did. did yeah. Yeah. yeah, so Broadchurch was on ITV and that was weird because it it feels very BBC and it feels like it I mean, at the time, everybody was a bit like, wow, like this is the best ITV drama in years. Um, Wasn't
1: Downton Abbey also an ITV show?
2: Downton Abbey also ITV, but that's not as good as any of the BBC period dramas. Like it's just, yeah. A diff- yeah. Yeah. Um, Like Downton Abbey, I've not seen much of it, but Downton Abbey is basically a soap opera, but with, mm. with in, in a period setting, whereas the BBC ones are a bit higher brow than that. I, I sound well, like a they're total based snob, on... but I'm, I'm just saying what the <laughs> consensus is.
1: Well, I mean, that's good to know because like, they all just come to us on PBS over here. Mm. <laughs> so it all feels the same. Right. Um, but I love knowing that there's a distinction. That's actually really great to know.
2: Oh, yeah, totally a distinction. But yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that, um... yeah, John Bishop, he's Dan, right? Dan is the character name, Dan and Yaz and the Doctor, how that plays out.
1: Dan and Yaz. I mean, I'll, we'll see. I didn't know that Graham and Yaz could ever have a great dynamic, but they had some really amazing scenes together. Didn't they have
2: some lovely moments? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um,
1: in in both series too, and it's it's not like something they just landed upon towards the end of last year. It, they've really had some nice moments together. Yeah. So we'll see.
2: Before we move on to questions from listeners, I hope you don't mind me touching on this, but you tweeted a little bit about how you felt about this story in in the wake of the timeless children obviously you came on the podcast yes. last year to talk about your feelings about the timeless children and its kind of gestures towards an adoption theme what what was yeah. the, what were the developments then with the doctor's kind of feelings and behavior in this episode
1: so i think one of the things that we talked about was that the the one quibble or one issue with um timeless children is that it's an amazing representation of, like, adoption, trauma, and pain, but it happens very fast. And the resolution, like, the introduction of the problem and the resolution happen within one episode, not even just, like, one, you know, or no, actually it is in – is it in one episode see that whole story gets muddled in my brain regardless Mm. it's very quick um and that's the that's the thing that felt a little bit like wow i wish i could have seen this be a little bit more earned and see the process um so what's fascinating is that i think what this story does is um builds on builds on it and makes makes it a little better like retroactively makes timeless children a little better in two ways um the scene with the doctor and ryan where she actually has that conversation with him and has to actually articulate here is what i learned about myself mm. and there is something in like having to tell your own story to people that makes it real oh, you know
2: 100 yeah it really feels like staring directly into the wound doesn't it
0: because
1: mm-hmm. like something can happen to you or like you can find something out but it's only in retelling it where suddenly it becomes like part of your actual story yeah definitely but, so like her having to say this to someone else felt very very important and powerful yeah and the language that she uses it's just like when she says some of that has been hidden from me and i don't even know how much i mean and part of this is also just like you know a lot of the work that I've done in therapy and mm. thinking about like my adoption, like we talk about these things where I there is information about my life that I just don't know. And mm. I will never know. Like there is actually no way for me to find it out. And if I if I wanted to go down the route of even possibly trying to look, I'd be setting myself up for like a a ginormous task.
2: Yeah. And a bunch um, of emotional turmoil, surely.
1: For sure. And like that, so even when Ryan says like, "Well, you should go look," and she's like, "Yeah, okay," and she she accepts mm. the the advice and it's nice, but she also like recognizes like this is it's gonna be hard. Yeah, and, and that we're, felt we're very not sure important. if you
2: is whether she whether she's gonna do that or not. I feel.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think I said last time I don't know that I want her to, mm. and I think I still feel like that, but now I may be like, well maybe interesting things could come from it because yeah. there's just been so much emotional truth so far with this story. Mm. And like when she talks about how angry she is, like it is angering to to not know where you come from. And, yeah. you know, I, I think <laughs> in Andrew Ellard's uh, tweet notes, which I also read, um, he talked about how her kind of like waffling on her identity feels very weak. And I totally I totally understand the critique um, and I know that you've had this conversation on your show too about um, the first female doctor having so much passivity yeah um, and and writing her as having all of these issues of identity and and faltering of like who she is Um, I understand that and like I totally see it it doesn't read like that to me just because I think that there's just so many there are important reasons why like, she's she's at least going through this specific thing. Like, passivity in other parts of the series prior to that moment, like, yeah, maybe we can have a debate on that and, like, why those choices were made. But at least from this point forward, it makes sense for her to have spent all that time in jail not trying to break out because they say to her, you did all these things wrong. Plus, they were hunting her down for crimes that she didn't know she committed. Like, yeah, right, like, they start so to true. go after her they start to go after Ruth, Mm. the incarnation that she didn't even know about. And so for all she knows, she has done a million bad things. And so she's sitting in jail thinking, like, who am I? What does this mean for who I am? Maybe I deserve to be sitting here. Um, Now, she doesn't say any of those things. Those are things I'm inferring Yeah. because, right, like, if you take the story together and the things that she says in this subsequent scene with Ryan, now you understand, like, she – she doesn't understand who she is and she was trying to use that time to figure it out mm. um and you know is it a fool to not try and figure that out right right i think she it's doesn't know yeah,
2: i think it's interesting uh, forgive me if i'm kind of stepping on dodgy territory here but you know you you're looking at it as a as this adoption parable maybe and and relating to it on that level but is, is there a sense that? everybody has these things about themselves especially about their families that they don't necessarily have the full picture of and yeah there's questions about do we need to know that stuff do we want to know that stuff
0: Mm. you know even if you're
2: even if you're not adopted there's all sorts of things that you that you're not going to know about your parents and about your the early parts of your life that you don't remember and to start prodding at that is is that wise i don't know
1: yeah, no, I mean, uh, so a perfect example of oh that, God, right? Like so a non-adoption. Ah, oh, you okay?
2: Yeah, my, I just, uh, hang on. <laughs> uh, just bear with me, Joy. I just, uh, dropped my mic on the floor and also spilled a drink. Oh no! Drink. So,
1: <gasps> no worries.
2: Are you still there?
1: I am still here. <laughs>
2: so I, did, yeah, I just spilled a lager on my carpet and it went under my computer and I was like, really <gasps> stressed. That Oh, no! But it didn't it's so funny because, yes, on the podcast I recorded um with Johnny spandrel um the other day, I was like being all funny and ironic about like oh i'm gonna I'm gonna put this drink here, and it's inevitably gonna spill on the computer halfway through the podcast and then what do you know? <laughs> here we go anyway you were uh, saying we were saying something about the doctor and her past and how wise yes, it yes i her will to product I will past.
1: back up so you can actually just cut from before i'm going to
2: keep some of that in because i think it'll be entertaining for the listeners
1: <laughs> well <laughs> i'll let you decide artistically where to make yeah, that choice yeah. um so the example that i'm thinking of is uh actually it's something that actually happened in my my family so my i have an older brother and sister who are my parents biological children okay. and so they are right like genetically related to mm-hmm. my parents mm-hmm. and so forth so on and so forth we were um, visiting my aunt and uncle in California one year. I think I was still in high school. My sister was in college and she was starting to deal with some mental health issues. And in passing, somebody mentioned that my grandmother, so on my father's side, um, she had been hospitalized for paranoid schizophrenia when she right, was a young right. woman. Yeah. And no one had ever talked about this. Like, we didn't know. We knew my dad had gone to live with his Aunt Helene for a little while, but no one ever said why. Uh, And my sister flipped out. Mm. She went, like, she just went into a rage at everyone. Because she was like, I can't believe that you hid this information from us. Do you know how important this would have been to me to know before starting this whole process? She was, you know, because... Family history is actually very important when um you do know it like to provide to your medical professionals like that's information true. they need. Yeah, true. Uh and she was she was really angry. And so this happens a lot with families, right? We Definitely. I can think of like
2: I'm thinking of like secrets. three or four examples like that that have affected me in different ways uh, throughout my life where I thought oh god that's not the way I that didn't happen the way I thought it was.
1: Mm -hmm. And then it makes you rethink yourself and the decisions that you make and you wonder what, you know, does this change who I am? Like, it is a very, very universal idea. The thing that makes it so, like, resonant for me, I think, is that – Adoptees and orphans are abundant in mm. in pop culture. Like they are literally everywhere. Every Absolutely. one of my students told me that apparently Mario and Luigi are adopted. <laughs> <laughs> like I was having this conversation right, with my okay. students, and and one of my kids was like, you know, Mario and Luigi are adopted. I was like, wow. what? And he, and he said, yeah, Yoshi picks them up and brings them to like. Yoshi's
2: I don't know, their their parent. Wow.
1: Yeah, Yoshi's their parent. And I, I was like, this is too much for me. I, I can't. I mean, <laughs> that's, that's <laughs> like
2: transracial adoption taking that to the next level isn't it it's like so trans the next, species like, <laughs> yeah
1: and so like
2: wow
0: it
1: is actually everywhere but no one and because it happens so much in genre fiction um because it's a really good way um to set our heroes off onto adventure or to give them some sort of motivation like yeah. batman wants to avenge his parents definitely, death definitely definitely um it's also Superman. a way of
2: depicting a parental bond of of sorts without Having to go through the boring um, motions of showing people's parents on on, on film <laughs> or TV or, in books,
1: and right, because we often, I think that people don't necessarily want to deal with families so much, and no. we, and a lot of fiction prioritizes found families, which is all good. But what ends up happening then is that you have these characters who, in real life, would be dealing with significant amounts of trauma, mm-hmm. um, where they never address it and there it seems to be that their their spectacularness and the things that make them special are because they had this very terrible thing happen to them in life when that is not actually the case like when you don't show any of the accompanying um difficulty it mythologizes a whole group of people that are real people um like this is actually a real thing that happens and to see doctor who at least even have these conversations and deal with the emotional truth of it in any way feels like radical to me
2: yeah it's kind of yeah isn't what you ex- what you'd expect is it
1: Mm, not at all i mean like it's i think a lot of tv shows and and books have done a very good job of it um apparently i don't watch those stories because like i know i'll cry Um, and so i don't choose to watch shows like this is us but Mm. adoptees i know who do watch it say it's great and does a really good job of it but like i'm not trying to watch that you know like i don't (laughs) no i don't need it whereas like with doctor who it feels like i'm not gonna stop watching doctor who now just because this like Resonates with me. It feels Uh, like it's doing it. Yeah, is it a nice,
2: happy medium because it's kind of you know something like this is us is very specifically about adoption, whereas Doctor Who it's like because it's an allegory, it's like maybe you can feel some of that stuff in a safer way.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah, and like I I think everyone you know relates to superheroes and and fantasy stories. Absolutely, uh, but there's. It just feels nice, at least for me, that now there is something that feels even more real about it. Um, not real, truthful.
2: Yeah, no, that's really nice. And it's nice that you were able to take that um, reading of The Timeless Children and, and expand it further with this story.
1: I was s- like very pleasantly surprised to see so that nice. it was actually built upon mm-hmm. and addressed.
2: I mean, my I guess my issue with it, wh- with it, was that there seemed to be some sense of conclusion for the doctor when she spoke right. to Joe Martin's doctor in um, the Timeless Children, and then that lesson that she learned from her seemed to be lost. But maybe there's a sort of truthfulness in that, in that you even you you need to hear that stuff more than once for it to really sink in and and have an impact on you. Like yeah, you're not you going to go to therapy once and and be like <laughs> I'm okay, I'm cool now, like. That's just going to take amazing. a while to even have a slight impact on you.
1: Oh, 100%. And like also, I mean, I think this is not even just true of um, people who are struggling with their identity because of adoption. But, you know, how many times in one's life do you say like, ah, I'm exactly who I'm meant to be right now and I'm so confident in who I yeah. am. And then like two months later, you know, you're, you're like, oh, what am I doing with my life?
2: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh wow, that's a a, a great um, expansion to that conversation.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me to have it. That was like I was so excited because um, it's just a very fun thing for me to talk about, yeah. and to explain it to my friends who are adopted who don't watch Doctor Who would just take way too long.
2: <laughs> They'd be like, <laughs> "Okay, what? So wait, yeah, it wouldn't wouldn't quite work."
1: I mean, think about the ramp up that I'd have to do.
2: Yeah, exactly. Um, cool. So I, I'm going to take some some of these questions from Twitter. I think a lot of them we've actually covered, but um, so Nicholas Moore asked us about a lot of these are from former podcast guests, which is pretty cool. But um, he asked us about how do you feel about the commentary inherent in using Daleks of police drones? We've we've already kind of um, Mm. so he said the thing about I'd like to have been more the episode, which yeah, fair enough. But I guess we already touched on that. But then he's asked um, also, what do you think of the prospects of Jack Robertson as a recurring antagonist? Personally, I think he's a riot. And I'd love to see him pop up like once a year. And I think we we sort of touched on that. But would you like to see him recur more than maybe one more? Would you like to see him, you know, hmm. more often than that?
1: I think he'd overstay his welcome after so one more.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I think one more is maybe enough for me. Yeah, yeah. So we got um, this is a great question from Will Shaw. What do you think happened to the future humans from the Timeless Children? <laughs> I kept thinking about that for the whole episode. Where are they? Because they just they just got let let loose, didn't they? In in twenty first century Earth.
1: Yeah, and they're from far into the future. Yes, yeah. I, I don't quite remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, they're from the
2: cyber wars, aren't they? That's like f- so far ahead.
1: So it's like dropping twenty twenty one people off into like what medieval times. That's yeah, horrible.
2: Hundred yeah. <laughs> percent. I mean, I'd be so interested to see like a Doctor Light episode in. This isn't going to happen, but in series thirteen with those guys in it
1: whoa that would be interesting just to see like what shenanigans they got up to
2: yeah i feel like um oh you i was just gonna say do you watch lost but of course you've seen lost um (laughs) what's the episode where you okay spoilers like serious spoilers for lost now if you haven't seen lost please turn off the episode (laughs) where you meet the other half of the plane
1: one of my favorite, actually my favorite series or season two episode. The, one the of my Other like 48 10. Days, is it called? Yes. A hundred. Oh my God. I'm imagining it, so it like
2: that, where it shows us those characters from the moment they got left on Earth in series 12. to, the, to and what a great,
1: event. ooh, what a great way to show like what happens to the people the doctor leaves behind. Yeah. Oh God, I'm I all for it. that now.
2: I mean, if we don't get it on telly, it's definitely a big finished box set coming to our ears. Not you know what you need
1: ahead. to do? You have to to write it and pitch it. Pitch
2: it, yeah. I've got some email addresses for that. Um, Do it. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, What are your hopes for Series 13? Or asks Will as well. Hmm. Your hopes for Series 13. I mean, I'm not going to go into this too much. I did cover it in my last episode. But um, Hmm. yeah, I guess what's your main... If you could get one thing in Series 13, what would it be? And it can't be Doctor Who's version of the other 48 Days. (laughs) (laughs)
1: okay that one because i i that's reserved for you now for for your pitch uh what do i want i think i would really like um just for there to be a little bit of an arc and not uh like he we're gonna drop the word hybrid into every episode and then (laughs) maybe it'll be to be a thing or not um And that's not even an arc I think that was that bad. It's just kind of like it was a little clumsy. I just would like some little bit of through line because I've loved the one-off adventures, but it hasn't allowed for a lot of uh, character growth. And I think part of that is just because of the the crowded TARDIS. Mm -hmm. So if there was even a tiny bit more cohesion, um, you know, one of the things that I've loved about I think some of the best seasons of doctor who is when they've had some sort of like thematic glue to hold them together
2: yeah i totally um
1: i feel like series five is such a great example of that um and so i just want a little bit more of that it doesn't need to be full tilt like mythology you know series six which is way too much um but it would be nice to to just get Mm. a taste of Mm. some cohesion
2: i agree with that i think my main thing would be i want more weirdness i want more stuff like yes um, like it takes you away in series thirteen. I also want more of Maxine Alderton as well.
1: yes, I love a big swing like it's it's good for the show to take risks. that's I mean, where Absolutely. else are you gonna do it?
2: Yeah, a hundred percent um, and I think and the rumor rumor has it that we're getting more of Maxine Alderton, so I hope that one comes true,
1: yeah, it's like what her agent's website. <laughs>
2: Yeah, it down <laughs> yeah I, the rumor is that she's like virtually like chibnall's right hand woman for series 13 which would be really I cool because she would that i mean that story it was honestly like a fever dream watching villa d'adati for me i uh, not everybody agrees with me but like
1: who doesn't agree with it you it just
2: stands to me it's like there's, there's there's no competition on a on a on a script mechanics level on a dialogue level between that and anything else in the Chibnall Who
1: who are these people who don't like Villa Diodati
2: like know. point I... me to them <laughs> <laughs> I've seen people saying that they don't maybe feel that in such an extreme way about it that I oh you know as I do goodness. but I, I just watching that story I couldn't believe what I was watching when I saw that
1: it was so fabulous yeah and I also it was it aired on galley weekend and so uh I like the um vpn thief than i am uh i watched it so i had a very small window of time between main stage panels where Mm. they were going to show it in the big room um and i think i just finished a panel in the main stage i forget who it was but then there was like an hour during which like if i wanted to keep my seat i could have stayed there um, so that I had a good seat for the for the screening. But I also knew that in a big room, being really loud, like I wouldn't be able to hear a lot of the episodes. So yeah. I made a sacrifice, and I said, you know what? I'm just going up to my room. Mm. I'm going to watch it on my laptop. Wow. And then I'll come down and watch it again with the crowd. So I'll get the crowd feel, but at least I'll know what has happened. What's happening. So I, <laughs> I go up to my room, and I was um, – sharing a room with Ty Gooden and um Nicole was also hanging out with us that weekend and so it ended up and one of Nicole's friends was there, so it ended up being like the four of us watching the episode on my laptop screen and I we didn't plan this but they came in and I just said listen I'm watching this episode you can stay but just know that this is happening and so I need it to be quiet (laughs) and they were like oh yeah that's fine so we sit down we watched it it was so much fun and then I got to watch it again in the big hall with everybody screaming and Like, the experience of it was so good, but also it was just so thrilling to... And, like, that moment when she gives the speech about, like, sometimes this isn't a flat team structure. Mm. People were screaming.
2: I mean, so much about it is brilliant. I mean, there's that. There's just, like, the the comedy Ryan gets. There's, like, how scary Mm. Ashad is. There's all of the... um, Just all of the dialogue, the comedy. It just felt so much more... I don't know, I mean, I don't want it to use it as a stick to beat the rest of the era with, but it was like, it was just, it was worlds apart from anything else in in this era.
1: It beautifully dealt with Graham, where, like, every character gets something, and to deal with the fact that, like, you know, you don't quite have enough for for Graham to do, you stick him in a room, he gets his own tiny, tiny little mystery, and then when he comes out at the end, there's a little button on it, like, oh, which people, who, where did you get that sandwich? And then that's it.
2: It was so good, so Fish. elegant. I want, I want more of her. Um,
1: yes, Max Curtis please. asks
2: us, "Do you like guest staff in the past holiday special?" So I had to ask him what he meant by this. But actually, looking at it, again, I, I'm not sure why I was confused. But he <laughs> means when you get so things like "Husband's of River Song," "Twice Upon a Time," and this and this recent one where you bring back a person, and that's the thing. I like that. But he's also asking, "Who would you bring back for a for a one-off in future?"
1: Ooh, who would I bring off? Bring back? Um, hmm. Well, if we're thinking realistically, writers tend to only bring back their own characters.
2: <laughs> yeah, usually.
1: <clears throat> so I'd be. I guess we could kind of fudge this a little. Like, if Chipple's gonna bring back a character that he's already written for, I feel like Martha Jones could be really fun to That'd bring be back. That's cool. She went on to Torchwood, right? Like, so she eventually was in that universe. Uh, But if it's just sky's the limit, whoever, you know, we would want to come back can come back. Um, I don't know. I think who would would play well with this group or who would be interesting to see spark off this group? I mean, I guess River Song is kind of like always the obvious answer for it because it's just fun to see River meet any new doctor. Um, So, yeah, maybe that's my answer.
2: I mean, if, if Martha's coming back, let's bring back Mickey too. I'd love to see those two actually, because ob- obviously they're, pairing them up was controversial, but I'd yeah. love to see that explored more. And right, both now of that those, they're together. Yeah, <laughs> both of those characters are great. And Both those actors are great. So I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to see that um, in a future special, I think, that those two together. Because mm. I, I just love Noel Clark um, so much as well. Yeah. Um Max also asked what planet should the doctor have dumped evil american jack on?
1: Oh, I have an answer for this.
2: <laughs> What's your um, answer?
1: The he should have gone to Raxacoricofallapatorius.
2: This is exactly because, what I was going to say as well. I don't know why. Because
1: because the Celine are so grossly like capitalistic and they're yeah. they're gross business people, that's where he belongs.
2: Yeah, I think I agree. To sort of be eaten by his own kind, right?
1: Yes. Yeah. I cannot believe I also said that planet's name <laughs> without <laughs> well stumbling
2: too job. much. <laughs> um, Imogen Janoodle asks us, which companion are you guys most interested in? So I'm going to take this to mean Graham Ryan Yaz or the prospect of Dan.
1: <laughs> well, Dan's at the bottom now because mm. I, we don't know anything about him. It's hard to be interested in somebody that you don't you haven't even met yet. Yeah. I mean, Yaz, for sure. Always, always, Yaz.
2: Yes. I think I agree with you. I'm I'm interested in seeing where that character goes. I think I'm more interested in the prospect of Dan though than in seeing more of Ryan and Graham. Actually,
1: agreed. I think I think I agree with that. Yeah,
2: their story's over, you know. Mm. Um, who else have we got? So we've got two Vision. Who asks us? How do you feel about the new companion, Dan? And do you think he'll fit into the Doctor and Yaz's dynamics? We we have already touched on that a little bit. Um, how do I think he'll fit in? I think he will either bring them closer together by <laughs> being the newbie that they get to show around or cause a rift between them.
1: Oh, ooh, I hope it's not the latter. Me too. Uh, oof. I think it might be the former and and particularly because just thinking about the dynamic with how how Jamie and uh the doctor got a lot closer with yeah. with Zoe coming yeah. in, um, you know,
2: Maybe I mean, even in series one, Rose and the Doctor get together as soon as Adam comes along and he's a newbie and the Rose can feel like the Doctor's equal a bit.
1: Yes. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: Oscar Groucho asks us, openly wondering if you think that scene with Ryan, his beanie and 13 was added in post-production. It seems so to hide Tosin's longer hair. By far the best scene in the special.
1: Uh, Is this something you've thought
2: about at all? Um I the di- Tardis scene. The Tardis scene. Yeah, there's a so he's wearing that beanie and that does feel a little jarring. And she comments on it, and it did. And they did say ahead of time that they had filmed another scene, didn't they? Hmm. Uh, uh, late in the game, he
1: puts it on. He it's off of. He's holding it though, right? Like when the scene starts, and then he puts it on his head.
2: That might be true. Yeah, I can't remember now. But yeah, you might be right.
1: So I did, it didn't even occur to me that it might have been the, the thing filmed late. Mm. I th- I've i heard some people say that the thing that was filmed um, more recently was was the introduction of, of Dan. Yeah. Um, obviously, it was because, right, no one knew. But sure. um, I don't, I guess maybe some of the TARDIS stuff could have been filmed later. Mm. Um, I've also seen speculation that Bradley was never supposed to leave, but then did, um, and so that maybe they had to rewrite some things for mm. um, this new character so that Dan-, Dan could do Graham stuff. I don't really know. Oh, I mean, um, that actually
2: is interesting, isn't it? Maybe Graham was supposed to stick around. and Because there's not really... Obviously, there is a narrative re- narrative reason for Graham to leave, but it's it could have gone either way, couldn't it, in that scene, actually?
1: Yeah. You know, he could have easily have said... Um, I love you, go off and, and do good things. Yeah. I'm going to do what Grace would have wanted and, you know, explore.
2: You totally could have played it either way. That's interesting, actually. Um, yeah. But but from a kind of outside perspective, I'm not sure I can believe the idea that Bradley Walsh would have done three seasons of Doctor Who.
1: Yeah, no, I was surprised that he did a second because yeah, he's too. so in demand. Um, well, then he's only I mean available
2: th- two-thirds of the time anyway.
1: I, so the funny thing about um, making that, like, uh, now I've totally forgotten his name, John Bishop. John Bishop, yeah. John Bishop comparisons with Bradley Walsh's. I knew who Bradley Walsh was mm,
0: Okay. <laughs> like,
1: as an American. I mean, and this is also partially being an American who also watches a lot of, like, UK mm. entertainment. But, like, I knew him from um, Law and Order okay. UK. Okay because I, I love Law and Order and so I've seen like all the franchises <laughs> <laughs> but I feel like I've seen him in, in a lot of other things he's he's done work that I think would have had a lot more eyeballs than typically like Americans don't really watch a lot of the like quiz shows and things like mm, that so mm. um, that's why John Bishop was a little bit more of a like a uh, oh <laughs>
2: Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't imagine he's really reached many people in America, John Bishop. That surprises me. That I think it, that's interesting because even though you knew Brad, Bradley Walsh, having seen him in dramas, you'd have come t- to him from a different angle to most people in the UK who know him as the host of The Chase. And
1: yeah, I hadn't seen him yeah. in that capacity until I actually was visiting um, London. This was. Ooh gosh, summer of twenty eighteen. So I think it was just before they were um they started and I turned on the the T V and there he was like yeah. hosting some, you know, variety show and I was like, Hey, that's yeah. him doing the thing that everyone knows him for
2: Well, I guess he used to be in Coronation Street as well. Um But again, those kind of actors are just seen as I don't know, they're seen as not as good as proper actors. I don't know oh interesting sounds so harsh it's just seen there's a different caliber of acting i think mm-hmm. i don't know um finally beth and roberts asks us do you think yaz will be confirmed to be bi or gay i'm gonna go with i hope so but i'm not sure
0: hmm.
2: what, are your, what are your thoughts
1: maybe it's not impossible we've had we've had other out companions And people on the show, it's not completely out of the realm of possibility, and shouldn't be, for that matter.
2: Uh, We've never had a companion come out in this way before, though. You know, we've always with with Bill and with Jack, it's been like they were very much established and comfortable with their own LGBT identities before they boarded the TARDIS. Whereas this would be a new thing of seeing somebody come to terms with and, and start to be open about that.
1: This would be so true if I was Chibnall I'd be sweating thinking about this (laughs) like because it's very tricky to do now that people ship the doctor Mm -hmm. and Yaz yeah because if she does come out um, as bi or queer in any way the expectation will be that there is then some confirmation also of a relationship between the two of them and you can't make it an afterthought because Shows have tried this um, and failed spectacularly by, right, like just offhand mentioning somebody saying like, oh, my, you know, my wife or Law & Order famously yeah. did this terribly years ago. And one character in like her very last scene was like, is this because I'm gay? And then like, that was it. She oh was my gone.
2: Oh God, wow.
1: Because <laughs> she was getting fired from the DA's office. Anyway, That's so, so funny. there's bad ways to do it. And, yeah. oof,
2: I, I don't know. I mean, I think what Chris would do, would be. I think he'd make it if he was gonna do the love story. I think he'd make it an unrequited love story. I don't think the Doctor would love her back.
1: I don't think this Doctor. W- and that's the. I, I I totally ship them. I think that there's clearly, um, a an attraction mm. coming from Yaz to the Doctor. But I I don't think that this particular Doctor is has any kind of like, a, attraction or even romantic feelings towards. Um, towards Yaz because like she's not flirty. The uh, other doctors were very flirty with yeah. their companions and gave off a lot of that kind mm-hmm. of like sexual tension energy. I just don't see that from Jody at all. Yeah. You definitely see it with Yaz. Like she Yaz clearly pines away for the doctor and loves her. I'm not getting the reverse. So yeah, maybe unrequited love is is the way to handle it. Um, this
2: doctor doesn't. You know, this doctor doesn't. With anybody, this doctor doesn't appear to have a sexuality, or a, a, a one that we've seen evidence of, and I, yeah, I don't know, yeah. I, I that jars with me a bit. I just think, why is she not allowed to have? It's a bit of a coward's move in my mind. I, I, you know, I fully think this tenure will come and go with this doctor never having a romantic experience with anybody, which is mm. fine. But it's like, well, all of the male doctors got one. Yeah, all of They them. did, and I think. You know, I can understand where Chris is coming from. He doesn't want to go for the Doctor is gay. He doesn't want to go for the Doctor's now magically interested in men. So he's gone for let's not do it at all. But I, mm. I don't know.
1: Well, and also it's interesting that like a lot of doctors have been aloof and emotionally unavailable, mm-hmm. but they've always been flirty. Yeah. yeah whereas yeah. this doctor is emotionally unavailable and. Very like oblivious to people's attentions, and you know even
2: oblivious often to the fact she's a woman at all. Mm. That's continued through both seasons. You know she's still getting coming to terms with that, and still it still doesn't have seems to have the biggest impact on her life. And even you know even down to her clothes and her presentation is not especially. I mean, I wouldn't go as far to call it androgynous, but the costume at least is androgynous isn't it
1: yeah she has a feminine silhouette i mean with yeah, the that's true. with the cropped um oh my gosh i'm not thinking of the right word for the for the pants but the wide leg um the cropped cu- pants culottes? yeah culottes yeah. yes um and, and the coat being kind of like um very very dress like mm. um so she looks feminine but it's not necessarily um hmm like, women's clothing, for no, example. No, and it, doesn't, Although it does not need to be. But, it doesn't yeah. have to be, and also the idea of, like, gendered clothing is also stupid. So
2: Yeah, 100%. I'm, I'm just thinking back on a conversation we had about this way back with Woman Who Felt to Earth, where I had my couple of my friends and my girlfriend on the podcast to sort of offer an outside perspective. And I said, and we had a whole back and forth about this whole thing, and then I said, what would you guys have gone for instead of the costume we got? And my girlfriend said, full Jessica Rabbit. And it's one of the funniest <laughs> things I've ever heard. There you go. If you didn't hear that podcast, everybody, uh, that you've got that gag again.
1: Oh my god! I I really now I want to go listen <laughs> to it just to hear the build up <laughs> to that moment. Um,
2: I think we've pretty much touched on everything, you know, Joy. Um, I think I think that's the the special covered.
1: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for inviting me to have this conversation. No, it's thank so much you. fun to talk thank to you. Thank you so much
2: for joining me. It's been great. Um. Where can people find you and your thoughts on Twitter? Where can people find your podcasts um, and your other work?
1: So I am on Twitter at Inquiring Joy. That is I-N-Q-U-I-R-I-N-G-J-O-Y. And from there, you'll um, find links in my bio to my podcasts um, at Reality Bomb PC. And my other podcast is a third doctor podcast with my friend Kyle Anderson. um, And that's called at... uh, it's called five years rapid and you can find us on Twitter at five years rapid.
2: Excellent. And you can follow me on Twitter at Molly underscore Martian. You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Galactic. And you can, g- um, you can email me at Gmail. Oh Jesus. Okay. You can email me at Galactic. yoyopod at gmail.com. Um, but until next time, bye bye everybody. You still there?
1: I am still here. I wasn't sure if I should do a sign-off or not. You should say bye, too. Bye, everybody.
2: (laughs) Thanks, Joy. (laughs) I really appreciate that. (laughs)